And you're now tuned in to Karenia on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris. I'm now joined um, by my co-host Frank in the studio today. How are you, Frank? I'm good, Iris. Thank you. And thanks to Encyclopedia for the previous hour. Uh, I'd just like to start off first by acknowledging that we're broadcasting over stolen lands. And I'd like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples over whose lands we're primarily, primarily broadcasting over here in Melbourne, Nam. I'd like to acknowledge that genocide is ongoing and colonisation is continuing to this day. Um, I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to Indigenous elders past, present and future. And I'd like to acknowledge any Indigenous listeners um, listening in. I was recently um, down to Jafarong country that's near Ararat and there's an ongoing protest camp being maintained there, you can check that out um, at the Joparong Heritage and Protection, no Heritage Protection Embassy, on Facebook, and there's still ongoing pressure needs to be put on the Victorian government. Um, yeah, in terms of getting into today's show, we have primarily two things we're going to um, have for you today. We have an interview. With Sav Sunderland, who's a game developer, who's that's coming up second and f- first. Um, I'm going to play audio from a, a discussion Queerspace had. Uh, first, I'd like to acknowledge I was in this this film that Queerspace made, but I wasn't in the discussion. It was the more it's more complex than yes discussion, which sort of I mean short film, which is was was aired a few months ago and I was talking about some critical discussions on the Yes campaign. So I was I thank Queer Space and German Street for initiating that. Um so this happened some months ago and it was hosted by Kate Ford, the general manager of Queer Space at Drummond Street. Um so the panel discussion also featured Peter Waples Crow, Jack's Jackie Brown, Sally Goldner, who is on Out of the Pan, twelve to one every Sunday, and Ruth McNair. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. And stay tuned to 3CR Community Radio, 855am, streaming live at 3cr.org.au, slash streaming and digital. Just um, written a few questions here which I need to read out because they're so complicated. Um, <laughs> um, and we're just going to open it up to all the panel to respond. Um, so um, first question is really about intersectionality, which came up many times, I think, in the film. Can, can everyone hear me? Yeah. Um, it seems to me that many people in the film are pointing to the failures in queer community, community to embrace the differences within, whether that's the failure to think and act intersectionally or the failure to see generational difference as something that contributes to our richness or the failure to acknowledge political difference. As a community, we're very clear in our demand of intersectionality from mainstream, but are we ourselves somewhat phobic of difference? <laughs> Over to you. I'm on the end, all right, I'll have a go first. I think there's mixed results to that. I deeply believe that the grassroots of our communities are doing their best to be more inclusive and hold space for intersectionality. Um, you know, I, I say this a lot, I had an interesting experience at the Globe Awards last year where a guy came up to me and said, I am a rich white gay man, he said. 
<laughs> and then came and said to me, we didn't, haven't done the right thing by our trans people along the way. And then he also said, to think more broadly, he said, I work on Manus Island with refugees and what's going on there's a disgrace. So I think we need to be careful of stereotypes. So I don't think it's the grassroots of the community. I'm sorry, I think we have too many people in positions of prominence and influence in the elements of gay and lesbian, not all. Not all, not all gays and not all lesbians, to use that phrase, who I'm sorry have not moved with the times, who still think that they can speak for trans and bi and not consult us and not listen and treat us as equals. And that's where we've got a problem. In the same way as we do, I don't like phrases like, you know, I know they, they're re in some sense they're reasonable, and we saw it in the clip, you know, rich old white men. I don't like phrases like gatriarchy or things like that either, but there are some people who are mimicking um, within our community, the sort of things that we commented about who runs Australia, well, some of it's happening within our communities, and I think we have to have that conversation to maybe uh, to enable us to move forward. So hopefully, I've broken the ice. For everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, okay. Uh, yeah. Look, I think I think we have a long way to go, and I'm going to speak particularly, of course, from a, a disability perspective and. Um, a lot of people who've heard me talk about this before will, will know these things. Um, but I mean, I think there, there's such a long way to go in getting our, our queer community to think really radically about bodies and about identity and about power and about who is seen as desirable and worthy and lovable and welcome in our queer spaces. So often queer spaces will be inaccessible um, in terms of there'll be up flights of stairs and they'll be in kind of these dark uh, rooms where everyone's getting hot and sexy together. Um, but there won't be, of course, many people with the varying kinds of impairments in those spaces because we can't access them. Um, and then the spaces that I can access, the spaces that I do find myself able to go to because I've been made invisible and because I'm not in those other spaces, people are still kind of surprised to see me. They're surprised um, that I would be there. I've even had instances where I've been flagging queer pretty hard. Um, I kind of like to make it pretty obvious. It's pretty important to my identity. And I've had people come up to me and say, you know, you're in a queer bar, you know, you're in a queer venue, as though I've kind of wheeled my way in there and I'm a bit confused. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I mean, I think, um, yeah, I think disability particularly and disability rights and thinking about disability from a human rights perspective is often something that people don't consider and that's largely because we still view disability as a personal individual medical problem as a society and um, yeah we really need to shift that thinking to think about access and inclusion and identity so yeah we have a long way to go. I mean, it speaks to that problem of identity as one or the other, doesn't it? Which is, you know, if you're this, you can't be that. And so we speak the politics of intersectionality, but we often don't put it into practice ourselves. And so we end up, you know, in those rigid sort of categories. Mm. Mm -hmm. I guess I'll talk in... Yeah, I just want to acknowledge that we're on um, Bunurong land here too and pay my respects to the elders and... I really appreciate the elders down here. I'm a Narago person. Um, I guess in the Aboriginal community, I guess I'm employed as an Aboriginal worker at VAC, and sometimes 
in the queer space, Aboriginal people don't feel very comfortable in queer spaces because they're too white, you know. And the queer community actually just reflects the society. And I don't know, I think there's less ignorance in our community and I hear amazing acknowledgements to country about ceded land and um, people are politically aware, but I think we have to go a bit further as well and maybe understand some of the trauma that we've been through and how we embrace that in the queer community as well and how, I, look, I'm an Aboriginal person. It's really important that I get some my cultural needs met. And it's just, uh, unfortunately, we're not at a point yet where um, even working in the space that I can offer, I have to work really hard to offer clients, make sure that I don't want to set them up, that they're going to have a bad experience um, and the sensitivities are there. And we're a very sensitive community because we've been very traumatised for a long, long time. Um, I'm seen as one of the good ones and we have internalised, you know, racism and conflicts within our own community, which is really hard for me to speak to non-Indigenous audiences without me stereotyping or um, adding to our misery or airing our dirty laundry, you know. Sometimes it's really hard for me to get a... It's been really hard for me to find spaces, queer spaces, to be able to talk with that stuff without actually... With non-Indigenous people who don't actually understand the intricacies of being part of that culture as well and all that trauma. So I, I don't know how we improve that, but I'm trying and we need to all try. And Peter, I really love that comment you made about it, you know, that this is a way to enhance empathy, mm. if you like. So if we can see how what Aboriginal people have been through for, for the last time. 200 and something years, you know, we've sort of tasted that a little bit around that scrutiny of our lives in the last few years, so it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, so the, there's a question, I guess, about um, which came up many times in the film as well, about who got left out of the debate. And I think, Sally, a bit that um, got cut out of yours was, um, you know, various sections thrown under the bus was one of the um, expressions you used. And um, so, uh, specifically, I think trans and gender diverse people, um, First Nations people, people of colour. I just wonder whether you wanted to respond to some of those um, things that were brought up in the film around those exclusions um, and the silencing of those communities. Well, yeah, there were there was that silencing on a number of levels, and it started really, from my memory, the night the postal survey was close enough to full reality. I was, you know, which was, I remember it was a Monday night in August, but you know, short before the High Court decision. And I was watching ABC 24 and out comes two of our own community representatives with the microphones under their face. So me looking at the microphone. And, you know, it's a, the gay and lesbian community is incredibly disappointed by this. I'm going, oh, hello, I'm a trans person. I know I'm about to hit, listen to even more well, I'd better say malarkey again than I've listened to for 18 months. Um, you know, and we've been thrown under the bus. And then the one that got me and a few others as well, um, and still available, is a video featuring, in this case, Karen Phelps, where a few um, in tune sort of voices there. And I know a lot of bi and trans people saw that. It showed, you know, a few seconds of that horrible... Um, ACL ad, and you know, my son's going to be able to have to wear a dress next year or something. And then Karen Phelps goes, We're going to be debating the gay and lesbian communities in the next year. Well, that was a trans issue. 
So we felt erased and we felt abandoned. And, you know, trans people in particular, I think, feel abandoned. And I know it's my biggest emotion personally, because sometimes we have been left out by our families, by societies, institutions. And then sadly, we got sold out by people who were supposed to be our mates. And I think that really hurt. And as much as I don't really like to ever mention his name, uh, Brooks Teeth, Mark Latham, um, you know, sort of said, oh, if we have same-sex marriage, well, we have pansexual marriage. So that's happening to go by as well. And I mean, mm. I'm speaking from my own perspectives, but, you know, I, I look at what intersex people got thrown in with in the Save the Safe Schools thing as well. And, you know, because, of, you know, people assume intersex is gender when it's not. Mm. So but we drag other people in sort of even, you know, inaccurately. But... You know, I agree with looking at everyone on the panel. We are all part of the family when, you know, in that sense. And we've, we've just got to learn how to do intersectionality because when we do and when we bring different ideas in, we'll campaign better. And that's, you know, um, that's the issue for me that a lot of people got hurt, a lot of people disengaged. You know, some of those bi and trans people could have had some amazing ideas that would have helped the campaign, but they just said, I can't do it now because Oh, well, you know, you're just not even mentioning me, you're a bit too ashamed of those people who don't assimilate so easily, like behind trans. And it really was quite debilitating. And the problem is we, I don't know, I don't know, this is the challenge from tonight, how do we start the conversations with the people who are not willing to sit and listen to us within the rainbow? There's a $64,000 question. Yeah, and I want to pick up that point about assimilating to the norm because I think what we saw in the marriage equality debate was around what happened in the 50s or 60s perhaps that you know gay people were okay and uh, as long as they were like heterosexual people and so you know that was what grated on me that this sort of marriage thing is well then we become like heterosexual people um, and therefore we have to erase those issues those parts of us that aren't like heterosexual people or aren't like you know, what might be seen as the acceptable people in our society. And, you know, that's a whole lot of our identities that aren't similar to anyone else. So, you know, whereas that stopped us being able to celebrate difference and say, well, we're a really diverse community and we have lots of cultural diversity and, you know, relationship diversity and yeah. how do we celebrate that? But it does raise that question, which I think we asked in queer space a lot, of why do we feel so silenced? Because it's like there's a, some other questions in, in that process of how was it that um, suddenly all the drif difference, all those things you're pointing to, drops out and mm. the people who sort of are, are more, I think um, Bobak said, homonormative mm. kind of pass, but in the process things don't get said. You know, it's um, people don't speak about what's being left out and that was something we were all kind of really struck by was that the silencing effect of the, of the campaign. But it's because the campaign was very normative. Like, yeah. to get marriage equality, that's what it was. That's what they were arguing for. That if you just give us this right, our lives and our families will look just like yours. And we won't look different. And we won't ask for anything different. And we won't parent differently. And we won't do our relationships differently. We will have the white picket fence and the house in the suburbs and we'll be Nice, respectable gays and lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, um, Buddy said, look, I'm just playing devil's advocate, that I don't 
we were under pressure to do a campaign, so the power bases rise to the top. Mm. And there was no strategies to tackle Aboriginal communities, you know, there was no strategies to tackle multicultural communities. Mm -hmm. It should have been in a, a longer time frame and thought as, as we campaigned towards that. Mm -hmm. But no work was done, no. so we were, we were left behind and ignored mm -hmm. the other communities and people of colour. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think Buddy spoke incredibly movingly about yeah. that and also how the, the Western Sydney results were used. Um, but again, that was something where the arguments that could have been put against that really weren't there either, you know. And, mm. yeah. and no one was targeted, you know, no, those communities weren't... Um, given any information or people hadn't thought about us and mm. how we might approach the debate. You know, it's often mm. you're thinking about the community collective and mm. the Aboriginal community really needs a long lead in time mm. to think about things as well and discuss mm. it. Yeah. And that's why our projects mm. take a lot longer to do. It's sort of just part of the community that we're very suspicious. You know, we've been mistreated, we're suspicious. Mm. So we're going to take longer mm. to engage with you and, you know, but you have to have trust mm. to move forward. And I don't know if any of that campaign from mm. was about trust building with some other communities. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think I've just got one more question, which um, I'm just going to lose now. Um, so this is really a question, I guess, around... Um, what we know um, from a therapeutic point of view, but also from a cultural point of view, that it's important to be able to speak. You know, speaking is part of healing. Um, I guess um, I wonder whether six months on, how, how do you feel about what can be said now that couldn't be said then? Or do you feel that there is a process of cultural change which has happened, which has sort of expanded the possibilities, that has expanded the language that's possible to speak our relationships. And in a way, I'm talking there in the intersection between queer and mainstream. But I guess I'm, I'm asking more broadly about that process of cultural change and whether whether it has had an impact. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really think so, not in my life. Not in what my life looks like. Because I think there's still this expectation from people who aren't LGBTIQ, from people who aren't queer, that, oh, now we've got equality, now we've got equal rights, now your life can just look like us and you should just get married and you should just, you know, and you've got it now. So you can stop talking about how things are hard and challenging and difficult and the discrimination you might face because you've got this thing. Um, and so I think that's really hard to then go back to our families of origin who many of us have difficult relationships with and try and continue to have those conversations about, you know, what queer oppression looks like and what our lives look like and what true equality might actually look like for us. Um, yeah, like, I think... I think Felicity said in the film, I think one, one of the possible positive things that we've got out of it is when a queer kid comes out in the country and their parents are not dealing with that, maybe 
as part of that conversation, they can say, well, you know, I can choose to have a relationship and I maybe choose to have marriage one day and have children. Like, that, that does potentially shift that conversation, um, which, I, which I do think is really powerful coming from a small town myself. Um, but yeah, I, I still feel the damage and the hurt of having to go through that process more than I feel that it's changed things. Yeah. Mm, I agree, and I think social change is really slow, mm -hmm. and you know maybe this uh, will sway a few people to say, well, okay, the government thinks marriage is okay, so maybe we should think gay and lesbian relationships are okay. Mm. Um, but you know that's just the tip of the iceberg, and you know I've, I've certainly witnessed in my patients this sort of sadness yeah. around, yeah. And, you know, that came out on the, you know, well, what about those forty percent? Mm. Um, you know, and I've seen that repeatedly from people saying, well, gee, I didn't realise my family was so homophobic. Mm. Um, you know, the, the silence in families is very immense. Mm. And, you know, you sort of assume as a queer person that the silence means positive, but actually people found out it meant negative. Mm. So, you know, that was very damaging mm. yeah. internally. And, and then, you know, you also see this sort of rise up of the uh, religious right as in right wing, around, uh, you know, well, they can't get away with this, and so we're going to have, you know, accelerate our opposition to mm. same-sex relationships, let alone everyone else. Mm. So, you know, the Anglican Church have come out um, specifying that it, this is a marriage between a man and a woman, you know, and it, it's just this sort of ongoing yeah. abuse mm. of power. Mm. Yeah. So I think... I see positives in the future because we can move slowly towards mm -hmm. true equality, but you know, this sort of didn't really shift very much. Yeah. Yes, and that was a panel discussion by Queer Space on the It's More Complex Than Yes film, and thanks to Queer Space for that particular camera for helping me out with that. Um, now we're going to move on to an interview. Cool. So uh, today's interview is a very special friend of mine. Uh, his name is Sav Sunderland. Uh, he's a games developer and games journalist for Checkpoint.org. Um, and he has also made the text-based uh, adventure game, That Boy is the Monster. So please uh, welcome him aboard. Uh, how you doing, Sav? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, doing all right. It's a... Uh, well, <laughs> I, it was a pretty good day, but now it's kind of dreary, so <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> yeah, that, that's Melbourne weather for you. Absolutely. Um, cool. So, uh, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, Sab. How did you get started into uh, game developing? Um, I actually got started in games development roughly around the time that Gamergate was happening. Ooh. <laughs> um, pure, mostly out of spite. Um, mm. for gamer gators <laughs> because I, I wasn't exactly keen on letting a group of hateful people take over a hobby that I'd had pretty much my entire life. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I started around then studying and just working on little independent projects on my own. Um, and I've, yeah, I've been doing that since about 2015 now. Hmm, nice. Um, and also, the uh, I want to talk a bit about the uh, the the games journalist. So you write for Checkpoint.org. Has that been happening around the same time? Like ar around uh, the yeah, same? Um, yeah. Sorry. Uh, I started about a year ago with Checkpoint. Um, 
Now, the confusing thing is there's actually two checkpoints in Melbourne, and one of them is a queer radio show slash news site uh, for games, and one of them is uh, gaming and mental health. Um, And we are the queer one. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, So I've been writing for them for about a year now, and before that um, I wrote for a couple of little uh, smaller publications. Um, I sort of do news, but mostly I just like to write articles about the games industry, specifically relating to queer and trans issues. Hmm. Um, and what what sort of what sort of the what sort of is, what what are these issues that you um like like to focus on in your writing? Um, I mean, primarily, I'm a person who focuses mostly on trans stuff. Um, being a trans man, um, I write a lot about trans representation in games, like where it's done well, where it isn't done so well. Um, diversity in games, like making sure to highlight games that have, like, queer people of colour and come from, like, queer developers and things like that. Um, just trying to get a bit more visibility out there for both games highlighting queer issues and games made by queer and trans people. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really great. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, That Boy Is A Monster. That is monster spelt M-O-N-S-T-R. Um yes. I I had a bit of a yeah. <laughs> um, I had a bit of a play around with it. Um, it's it's basically basically a text based dating sim where you you play as a as a trans man um, uh, just going on various dates. Um, it involves a lot of um, like the like the occult, like werewolves and vampires, which is actually actually a topic that interests me a lot. Sort of combining like. Uh, sort of combining like horror and monster themes with um with 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 queer identity and issues, which is something that I do in my own comics. Um, how did how did that uh how did that idea for the game come about? Um, there were a couple of reasons. Uh, honestly, it's not uncommon for uh trans folk to have uh monster sonas, which is kind of like a fursona, but with monsters or like a monster personality. Hmm. Uh, And I think that really boils down to like uh, how society sees trans people and dealing with like transitioning and feeling on the outside. So it sort of started around there. Uh, Specifically like werewolves relate a lot to uh, problems with masculinity and culture like they're struggling with the primal side of them. They're str- struggling with the anger, the beast within. Mm. Um, so it it, it does uh, the werewolf mythos does help with a lot of sort of issues with being a trans man. Like you know, is testosterone going to make me more aggressive? Uh, am I going to become a different person? Am I going to be unrecognizable from who I was before if I start hormones? Um, so that was just sort of floating around. And like, there's also just a lot of physical similarities in terms of like the transmasculine transition. Like you get a lot more hair, uh, your voice changes, your like your whole body like shifts in like fat distribution. Um, you, you do get stronger because 
testosterone obviously is a kind of a steroid. Um, like all of these like physical changes that happen and they also happen to werewolves. So I was like, all right, this, there's something I can do with these, these sort of parallels going along. And it was also loosely based on a study uh, done um, a few years back that uh, looking at the figures, more people believe they've met a ghost than they've seen or, like, interacted with a trans person. Mm. And it really got me thinking about, like, what people will believe before they believe that you are a trans person, like a real-life one. Yeah, like yeah, I I I can compl- I I can kind of relate to that because um the the werewolf for me like being a being a non-binary person and yeah sort of like you know figuring out my my own like body issues and um my own identity issues like the the werewolf in general has been something that's really related to me so so when I started playing the game that was actually what resonated with me quite a bit yeah. so yeah it's um it's it's yeah it's 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 definitely definitely an interesting topic to um. To, to discuss um now uh, that boy is a monster is is that a lady gaga reference yes it is <laughs> i thought so uh it's a lady gaga reference and it's um a grinder reference obviously with the missing e um all oh, right okay i was yeah. actually going to ask about about that particular detail but that makes a lot of sense yeah so like monster is like the dating website you're on at the beginning mm. um so I just removed the E. So one, Lady Gaga couldn't, like, give me a copyright strike. <laughs> <laughs> and two, like, uh, just gay sites seem to hate having E's. It's like Tinder has an E, but Grindr doesn't. And it's just we don't like the letter E, apparently. Yeah, we yeah we just we just don't for some reason. I don't know why. I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure there's a, maybe we just don't like vowels. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Um, so yeah, you've, you've, you, you just, just from what I've seen on, on your Facebook, um, you've been to like a few panels and a few conventions, like promoting like games and and all sorts. Like how's, um, how, how's that been as an experience? Uh, mostly very, very good. Hmm. Um, I say mostly because you do get, uh, you, you do get your bad experiences at games cons. Um, I recently, was in New Zealand giving a talk about my game and doing a panel on romance and gaming, which was very, very exciting. Um, But directly after my talk, I went out and I was talking to uh, some of my other friends, uh, none of, none of which are like, none of us are female, but we had this dude come up and he had these little pamphlets and he was like, Hey ladies. And I just went, not today. I, I do, yeah. I'm not in the mood for this today. And I was like, hey, like, none of us are ladies. You shouldn't refer to, like, a group of strangers like that. Like, not only is it, like, misogynistic in nature to just approach random people and call them ladies, mm. like, you know them, but also, like, none of us are ladies, so you've kind of messed up on both fronts. And he... He did not get it. He doubled down. He was like, yeah, but you're female. And I was like, oh, man, you really, you, you're going hard on this, aren't you? Oh, God. Um, so, like, you, you get people like that. You get older um, men in the tech industry who just don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, 
But that was really good. That was like I reported that pretty much immediately. I pointed them out. I let like the coordinators know what was happening, and they spoke to them and dealt with the situation. Okay. So like the yeah, the industry is supportive. Mm. Um, like for the most part, it's just you get those bad eggs in the bunch. Um, and I haven't had too many hecklers. I mostly get people when I post my talks online just being very, very bizarre. I had somebody try and explain The Witcher to me the other day. Oh, wow, like okay. my talk my talk is specifically about like masculinity in The Witcher. Like yeah. obviously I've played it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's like with any minority in the games industry, you're going to get a few bad eggs. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've I've experienced a bit of that in 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 the comics world myself, but that's a that's a talk for another day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So has has the queer community really responded positively uh, positively to? I mean, not just that boy is the monster, but also like with your your journalist uh, work and and the panel work and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. Um. I pitched an idea for a feature a couple of months ago where I was like, hey, I want to write specifically about like transgender and uh, non-binary developers. Um, you know, I all I have to do is put out a call on Twitter and I'll get maybe like five or six people who are willing to talk to me. And they were like, cool, do that. And I got over like... 60 direct responses and 500 huh. retweets on it. I was like, this is incredible. Like, we're starting to get a lot more people, like, out and proud and talking about all of this. Um, and that article was one of my most well-received. Like, it got it got viewed many, many times. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and my game as well. My game was very, very well-received. I was specifically asked to New Zealand to give a talk on that game. Um, and for me, the reason I make games is because, one, I like telling stories. I'm primarily a writer, so that's kind of my whole deal. But, two, like, I really love just the idea that if somebody else was like me when I was younger and wasn't sure and didn't have any media out there portraying them, that they get that experience of seeing themselves in media and having sort of just a relatable experience. Um, and I've had mess I've had messages in about my game that of people who have had that, who have been like, I've never seen myself before in a game. This is incredible. Thank you so much. And to me, that's worth more than anything like just getting that representation out there and helping people to be comfortable with themselves yeah that i mean that is absolutely the the best feeling um that's the same sort of thing i try to do with my comics it's sort of just give you know just sort of thinking of like yeah. you know like young young little frank that didn't have any you know sort of representation growing up and, yeah and you know sort of thinking okay you know there's probably other like young little Franks out there who'd, who'd want that, you know, re representation, who'd want that reassurance. So, um, yeah, yeah, you're doing a really great thing. I, I, I commend you for it. 
<laughs> Thank you. I mean, you too, I definitely hear people talking about your comics a lot. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So I guess one one last thing. Um, there is the, I think it's the, is it the gender, genderverse? Is that the... the... Uh, yeah, genderverse. <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Thank it's, you for correcting it's that. It's funnier when it's written. It's yeah. three puns in one. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, so tell us, a, tell us a bit about that. Yep. Uh, so I run a Melbourne-based um, trans, non-binary, intersex, agender, and just general gender diverse, gender queer um, games developer group. Um, and I run monthly meetups, uh, specifically in Melbourne. Um, but we also have an online Discord where people can get together and chat and sort of have a bit of an event about, like, when things like that dude at the conference was having a go at me and my friends. Like, we, we can have a bit of an event about that, but also get help on, like, industry things. Like, people talk about job opportunities. It's just really, like, a little sweet community um, of just very, very gender diverse people, which it makes my heart really, really happy to see. Uh, because when I started it, I was like, I'll be happy if I get five people in on this. And the first event, there were 50 people showing up. And I was oh, like, nice. oh my gosh, <laughs> there's definitely more than four. Now I have to keep running this. Um, and I started that in November last year. Um, so if people are in Melbourne, uh, we just had a meetup because it's on the first Friday of every month, but there will be one next month. Um, probably not one during Melbourne Games Week because that seems a bit foolish, but that's coming up soon. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Uh, I totally also just wanted to add that you got my name wrong at the start. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, it's Sav Ferguson, not Sunderland. Oh, okay. Sunderland, I, I Sunderland is just, uh, it's from Silent Hill 2. It's my oh, okay. silly little alias. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess uh, just to, just to uh, finish off a bit, uh, do, you have any, do you have any, like, upcoming games you're currently working on? Um, I'm currently working on a game called La Gata y La Luna. Mm. Um, the Cat and the Moon, and I am working on that group of 10 people. I am the producer, um, and we're going to be exhibiting at PAX this year. Oh, nice. Um, so if people are coming to PAX, it would be great if people popped down and saw my lesbian cat game. Um, they're, they're, they're actual cats, not anthropomorphic ones. Every time oh, I mention nice. I'm making a lesbian cat game, everyone's like anthropomorphic and I'm like no cats but a girl and in love so that's set in the streets of Spain and it's about two cats that grew up together but uh, time meant that one of their owners uh, moved away and so you play the other cat the street cat trying to get back to her love Hmm. That sounds yeah. That yeah. sounds really cool. I I'm definitely looking forward to to checking that out when it's finished. Yeah, I'm. I've been having a blast making it. Um, big shout out to my animators and my whole team because like 
we made them we made the decision to make watercolored animations like digitally but watercolor animations frame by frame and drawing a cat every day day in day out with that amount of shading i feel so bad for my animators (laughs) but big shout out to them for working so hard yeah i used to do animation and it's a lot of work yeah this is this is a lot (laughs) um i'm really really proud of where we're at with it so uh, that one's also on Twitter, so you can follow our progress as well, um, at legata underscore game. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I um, one, yeah, I guess one last thing. Uh, whereabouts uh, can we find you? And more importantly, um, how, can, how can listeners uh, access that boy is a monster? Um, so everything can be accessed from my Twitter, basically. Uh, I have a link in my Twitter description, but I also have a pinned tweet uh, to That Boy is a Monster. Um, And my handle is times n troubles, um, because times and troubles doesn't fit. Um, uh, Or just by Googling Sav Ferguson and I'll come up. It's SAV, so it's not too difficult to find. Um, and I also have a itch.io, but that boy is a monster isn't up on there, but that's also under times and troubles. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that's about all the time we, we have. Um, but yeah, yeah uh, th- thank you so to, much for having me. No problem. Thank you to Sav Ferguson, also known as Sav Sunderland, uh, <laughs> for this interview. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. No problem. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. And if you just tuned in, you've been listening to Queering Yeah, 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial, streaming live at 3cr.org slash streaming and digital. Now we're going to go to some news items. First, some news from India. On September 6th, um, the Indian Supreme Court struck down an archaic law criminalizing consensual homosexual activity. Um, so I'm just going to, and this is a quote from their magazine, India decriminalizes gay sex in a huge step towards global LGBTQ plus equality. Um, so yeah, struck down an archaic, archaic law criminalizing consensual and homosexual activity, reversing a harmful vestige of British colonial rule and paving the way for LGBTIQ plus rights in the nation. Section 377 of the Indian Penal Code carried a maximum sentence of life imprisonment for crimes against the order of nature. Um, we also have had similar laws from Britain in terms of the, uh, Australia and the colonial states. Uh, another thing that's been happening this, this, we- this week is Scott Morrison has been talking about there being gender whisperers in school that are supposedly converting people to be trans and gender diverse when really the opposite case is true um as um the young trans girl woman um evie said on the project in terms of conversion therapy it's real many trans and gender diverse people go through it i went to a christian school and that stuff was pushed as well um yeah so it's that's the sort of prime minister we have running our country at the moment, and a quote um, from Simona Castricum, who wrote an article in The Guardian, um, starting now. 
It's this surveilling behaviour by cisgender people that we endure that is debilitating. It feeds the idea that we are doing something wrong. No, trans people are not doing anything wrong, and I reject the idea that we would, or rather, we are not. Hmm. Continuing on this to some extent, um, the notorious transphobic feminist Germaine Greer is in the country running a book tour on rape. Um, and the problem is, like, her views on rape are quite bad, to put it mildly. Um, she wants to minimise the definition of rape, um, and she also has a lot of victim-blaming rhetoric. Um, but myself and a few others, or my others and myself, were involved in a small protest at her book launch in Melbourne earlier in the week, and two of us even got inside and made a bit of a disruption. So people there, we talked to people who didn't know much about Greer and got the word out on how bad she is on a range of things. Um, so that was good to counter that. Another thing that's been happening in the last few months is we're seeing the introduction of, of this ban on plastic straws. And... It's a bit strange for these all these corporations and, and I suppose smaller venues that produce all this massive waste suddenly focusing on straws and a lot of disability justice activists have pointed out how ableist this is and I came across um, a podcast featuring Alice Wong who's the founder and the director of the Disability Visibility Project and a disability rights activist based in San Francisco. Um, and this is what Alison had to say. And this is, you know, 18 years after the American with Disabilities Act, after decades of disability rights activism that really fought against segregation in the days where there are laws called ugly laws. So I'm not sure if you realise this, but in the old days, there are laws that disabled people and all kinds of people were not allowed in, in a public space because they affected people. Just their mere existence made pe people uncomfortable. And I really do see a connection between these straw bans and these kind of kinds of his, historic laws that discriminate. So yeah, um, and a lot of yeah, it's a really important quote to put it sort of in an historical context. Context, and I've seen a lot of disability justice activists um, use like circuit ableism as a sort of hashtag against these laws. Um, and it really has nothing to do with environmental protection. It seems to be more about greenwashing. Um, a lot of people's brands. Um, yeah, so that's just some news items. Next, we're going to move on to upcoming events. Do you have an event, Frank? Yep, absolutely. So, on Sunday, the 16th of September, starting at 7pm, there is the Ugly Zine launch uh, by one of my favourite local artists, Amber Is Blue. Uh, so they're going to be launching launching that zine at the Old Bar, which is at 74 uh, to 76 Johnston Street, Fitzroy, Victoria. So the zine will be launched there. There's also going to be a few bands performing, such as Simona, Darkwater, and Pout. Um, so tickets are $10 at the door. 
Um, and also, this will be an LGBT plus friendly event. Um, and I shall also be there. So if you wanted to come and say hi, now's your chance. So that was the Ugly Zine launch at the Old Bar at 74 to 76 Johnson Street, Fitzroy, starting at 7. That was on next Sunday, the 16th of September. Cool. Um, sounds good. It's also September and it's the Fringe Festival season and there's so many events on. I'm kind of rather overwhelmed, but um, we've had Creatrix Chiara on before in this show and they're doing an interview and um, they're doing a, a performance, um, their Queer Lady Magician performance. And that's starting this week. It's running on the 12th, 13th, 14th and 8th and 12th, 13th, 14th and 15th at, at Gasworks Theatre. Um, so you can just find that with Queer Lady Magician. And that's happening in the evening on those nights. And another fringe event that's coming up that I'm also like a small act, I'll disclose that, is Trans Magic. Um, that's just going to be this trans and gender diversity cabaret night on the 25th of September at 8, 8 p.m. No, and that's hosted by Mama Alto and, and Mixter Mon- Monroe. Um, and a third fringe event is Reclaiming the Naming by Floating Key. Um, and that's happening on the 26th of September from 6.30 to 9.30. And some stuff about that is, it's, this is quoting from the Facebook event, it'll be a one-night special event as we challenge notions of reclamation through guided meditative reflections, spoken word performances, and multimedia experimentation. This, uh, this experience is supported by original words and music from Danny Sib, Yusuf Hara Jr., Shage, Streaming Now, in brackets, Neil Morris, and more. Yeah, and moving on from the Fringe events, also coming up this month is the AGMC National Conference. The AGM- AGMC is sort of a an NGO that's uh, run by multicultural LGBTIQ people. Um, They've been doing stuff for over a decade, and they're having their conference from Friday to Sunday, September 21st to 23rd. So check that out if you're interested. Yeah, is that all you have as well, Frank? Um, Yep, at the moment there is. I'm sure there'll be more events coming up in the future, though. And that was Mama Alto with Songbirds, and you've been listening to Queering the Out on 3CR Community Radio. We have reached the end of our show today. You can contact us at queeringtheair at gmail.com or message our Facebook or Twitters. Oh, no, we have one Twitter. It's bye for Iris, from Iris. Bye from Frank. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.